podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to one of the 10 best English language podcasts about Fiorentina on the internet. Welcome to Viola Station. Welcome, everybody, to our latest Viola Nation podcast. I'm Mike, joined by Tito, uniting the globe under one viola color. Tito, how are you doing in the VN headquarters? Mike, things look beautiful in this bunker from which I am speaking. The concrete walls are shining under these fluorescent lights. It is what I presume a beautiful day, although I cannot see it. How are you doing? Not as safe from zombies as you are, but uh, nonetheless, still good. Uh, sun shining. The sun's actually coming into this room here, so uh, very inspirational. Well, that sounds not terrible. Well, if we're going to talk about inspirational things, let's start out with a birthday for our beloved and unbelievably handsome young Ricardo Sotil, who turns 21. Ricardo, when you come to the U.S. for the ICC next year, we'll buy you a beer promise. Happy birthday, Ricky. Uh, finally, we'll be able to drink here in the United States, even though in Italy it's not as big of an issue. So it's always a good thing. Getting into the meat of our usual programming here, it's been a little bit since we were doing this due to a number of technical failures here in the VN bunker. Let's, uh, let's go back and talk a little bit about the last time we were on together, Mike, when we were joined by, oh my God, Rocco Camiso was on with us. I still can't believe that that happened. Not every day you get to talk to Rocco. Um, first and foremost, he's just an amazing guy. So generous with his time, very honest with us, opened up, allowed the conversation to go wherever we wanted it to, and, and he was willing to answer and address any of those questions. So, you know, we must publicly and personally thank Rocco and as well as everybody else who made that happen. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much, Alessandro and Tom and Jen as well for helping us out with that. And thank you, Rocco. That was just, God, that was just a blast. I, I had so much fun doing that. Yeah, the global fans have, have taken, you know, to the, to the internet, talked about it. You know, we know that that one has uh, by far gotten more response than any other one that we've done or probably will do in the future. Um, so it was amazing. You know, coming from there, there was a lot of topics of conversation. You know, the first one that stood out to me was when we got into the players. You know, we, we asked them. We met a couple months ago back in September of, of 2019, and he was the one that introduced the concept of uh, Bandiera. He actually sat with me in his conference room and, and explained it to me. I was very unfamiliar with it. Shame on me. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, uh, it was something that meant a lot to Rocco. It meant a lot to uh, to the club that he's building. At that time, he was talking about Chiesa, you know, potentially being that player, and he was hopeful that he would. Moving forward, Chiesa potentially still could be, but he mentioned a lot of other players in that conversation. Oh, yeah, and that was so cool to hear his obvious passion for that. I mean, uh, Kostrovili and Dragovsky – and Milenkovic and our birthday boy Sotil. I mean, 
his passion for keeping the players at the club, I think, is something that is very encouraging for Fiorentina fans who are too used to seeing legends and favorites head off for no real good reason. You know, I don't think that any fan is expecting all of those players to stay at the club, but we've already had a couple of them come out publicly. Castrovilli recently said he'd love to wear number 10. Um, Dusan Vlahovic has, has talked about wanting to stay and, and be, a you know, the flag bearer, you know, Bandietta uh, inside of Florence. Uh, I expect those two guys to stay. Birthday boy Ricky will certainly have his opportunity. Oh, yeah. There are a couple people that are then, you know, a toss-up uh, as far as will they stay or will they go, and that will depend on them. If they want to stay, I'm sure Rocco will keep them. He loves having all these young players uh, with all this incredible potential staying inside of the city, creating a lot of buzz uh, and interest in the club, not only in Italy but also globally. That's really one of the big pieces of it is that his willingness to keep those players around and offer new contracts and really highlight that as a point of emphasis for uh, Joe Barone and Daniela Prade. That's just been such a nice change of pace that we could see this team play together for a few years rather than get attached to a player and then a year later he's shuffled off elsewhere. So that's, that's something I'm really excited about. One of the other things he mentioned that really got me amped up was his excitement about the women's team. I mean, women's soccer in Florence has a pretty great position. The first professional team attached to a men's side in Italy. They've won a bunch of hardware. I think they're averaging like 1.5 trophies per season, which is um, an okay return on investment, <laughs> especially when you look at the men's side. But he hearing him express his intention to continue to invest there really excited me, especially with some of the talk about the full professionalization of the game in Italy coming up, even if that seems to be on hold right now a little bit, which is also frustrating. But hopefully Rocco will really keep that momentum rolling and keep the women's team in competition with the league leaders like Juventus and AC Milan. Listen, you know, we're never going to be able to be a bandietta inside of Florence uh, for, for Fiorentina, but maybe we can carry the banner for the women's team internationally. And hopefully, you know, the country of Italy can follow suit with where we are um, with watching the women's soccer here in the United States, uh, with how they follow and, and watch women's soccer in England and in the Netherlands and in Germany. Um, so we have an incredible, uh, talented group of women. Um, coached by just an amazing guy, uh, a dear friend of mine, Antonio Chicota. They're amazing, you know, and they give us a, an exciting game each and every day. I, I've been a, a member of the Viola Club uh, Go Women's now for, you know, this past season. I'm going to continue that uh, in any way, shape, or form that I can. When in Florence, I'll go to the games. When I'm away, I'll watch it as it's streaming. Tito, I know that you've been one of the biggest and, and the first adopters of the women's team, you know, since they started. I just think that is so cool and so important for any number of reasons, which we probably don't have enough podcast airtime to get into, but confining this to uh, Fiorentina, yeah, seeing even under the Della Valles, the amount of prestige and effort they put into the women's team. I mean, signing Patrizia Panicol there in the early going was such a big deal. You know, one of the all-time greatest Italian women's players and having her join Fiorentina for those first 
what, first year or two? And then the fact that Rocco has made it very clear that that is going to continue. I just, <clears throat> that makes me feel so good and so proud of this club. And I really, I like that. I don't think a lot of fans can say that about their clubs a lot of the time. And this is something where it feels really cool that the club is doing the right thing and supporting its city and its team and really making sure that that relationship between city and team and people is really strong. And, and let's be honest, the women on that team reward us by staying with Fiorentina and in, in the city of Florence. A lot of those women could have gone anywhere else that they wanted to, but they renewed their contracts with Fiorentina yeah. in the past season. And it seems like they're going to be continuing to do that. They, they love the club. They love working with Chincota. We have brand new infrastructure that's coming in with the training grounds. You know, we'll talk a little bit about the stadium, but the women are going to be included in that infrastructure investment. Yeah, I think that's the big thing is seeing the women's team treated as a full part of the club rather than a sort of junior offshoot has been really great. And hopefully every club in Italy will pay attention. Napoli, that is in fact your cue to get on this train. <laughs> and all right, yeah, with that, I think let's go ahead and start talking infrastructure a little bit because that was also something that is clearly very dear to Rocco's heart. Yeah. And that has also kind of been in the news if you're a Fiorentina fan of late. Mike, would you like to talk to us about Nuostiamo con Rocco? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, first and foremost, infrastructure comes in many different ways. We're talking about the restart of the season. Rocco talked about being in favor of it as long as it doesn't impact the, the future of, of next season. That he's, he was very concrete, honest about. Where we're going into it now is we're seeing that a lot of the fans are starting to take a much bigger voice, uh, a lot more responsibility putting the club on their shoulders, supporting Rocco publicly. I think a lot of people feel that they're not getting the respect they're deserved. And um, they've been, we can agree, you know, we're, we're fans of, of Fiorentina and, and maybe we're a little bit biased, but our, our fans are some of the best that are out there in Europe. Oh, uh, they've been loyal, maybe even to a fault, uh, without having as much success. And uh, they show up each and every day uh, singing louder and prouder than any other team that comes into our stadium or when we travel to theirs. You know, ATF and ACCVC organized Noitiamo Conoco. Uh, they got in touch with us, asked for a little bit of support through some of their channels, which we were happy to oblige. Reaching out to the international community, is, as certainly they have all the presence in, in Italy there. But what happened last night, it launched at uh, 12 o'clock from Saturday going into Sunday. And you saw probably about 200 pictures of all the various viola clubs, different members showing their solidarity with Rocco, with, with the uh, phrase, Noistiamo con Rocco, we're, we're with Rocco. Who they're really targeting here is the Florentine government, government that has not allowed the infrastructure to start, you know, has not been able to sell Rocco any kind of land that is uh, amenable to both parties. And certainly Rocco's not asking for a handout. Rocco is looking to take his money and build a brand new stadium, brand new infrastructure that will support that stadium, provide so many jobs to that city, uh, and help a, a city that's struggled through COVID. A lot of their money comes from tourism. So people were very 
uh, honest and and their their outpour of uh, emotion was was apparent and i'm sure it struck a chord with mayor nardella and hopefully we'll see some action that would be great as i told you while we were talking about this before we started recording i actually i have nothing against nardella i like a lot of his policies i think he's a good yep. politician but man his slowness to react to the club's desire for a new stadium or new land since Rocco took over has been really strange to me. I, I can only imagine that it's due to the inertia that built up under the Della Valle brothers in the decade-long America Fear project that every six months we would hear that one side or the yeah. other had been granted an extension and like, oh, we got to send more experts in to survey the land or do something and like it, just nothing ever got done. And now that Nardella has been dealing with Rocco, who's trying to buy the America Fear site, and then that 22 million euro tender, which, I mean, that's a lot of money under any circumstances, but I think under the, the terms that the city was willing to sell it at, just, I don't think it was very realistic. And then his, his government's refusal of the plans for the remodel of the Franke and the surrounding area that would have modernized the stadium and reinforced it so it's not, you know, literally falling apart beneath our feet, which is cool. <laughs> and like, you know, bat bathrooms are great in a stadium and then turned that down as well. And he hasn't really offered any alternatives, which I think is what has frustrated people so much. And he's had an adequate time to do so. He certainly has. Um, you know, you just gave me an idea for a uh, future article. Uh, I was speaking with a friend of mine, John Luca, who's the head of the Viola Club in Prato. He showed a couple pictures of the actual stadium and the infrastructure, what it looks like today and how it's just falling apart on Facebook as they were, you know, launching their campaign yesterday. So I'll reach out to him, see if I can, you know, borrow some of those pictures, put those into an article just to show our fans, our readers, uh, what the stadium looks like and why there's such a need for this change. You, you know, you mentioned the tender, $22 million versus what six, you know, Rocco talked about, but the 22 million euros wasn't the extent of it. Inside of that was also another 50 to $70 million that they wanted Rocco to pay just to build infrastructure. Infrastructure is a city thing. So, you know, when you're talking about Campy, we're moving to Campy. They're going to build that infrastructure. Florence said, no, we want Rocco to build all that infrastructure on top of what he needs to build a, a stadium. It, it makes me question what's going on in Florence. I'm with you. I, I've loved Nardella. We've tried to reach out to do an interview a couple times, just never made it happen. I saw him recently. It was either yesterday or the day before on Fox News doing an interview talking about how as a result of COVID, the city's 200 million euros in debt. Uh, he was uh, making an appeal to benefactors globally to be able to donate some money and, and talking about how he would make them ambassadors to the city to have a voice in what they're going to be doing moving forward. It just seems like a really weird situation uh, that, that they're so much in debt and yet at the same time, they won't allow a man who's willing to spend $300 million of his own money and build a stadium with supporting infrastructure structures around other businesses create however many thousands of jobs, drive however many millions of revenue into that city. And you're also creating a, a separate tourist area. So there's a new focal point inside of Florence, taking everybody out of city center, uh, 
and bringing them into another part of the town. Because you know when Rocco's building this, he's not just building a stadium. There's going to be other attractions that are going to be bringing people to the stadium more often. And he's talked about that with us. You know, we don't want just people coming to the stadium once a week for, you know, 40 weeks out of the year. We want people that are going to be coming there multiple times, you know, a week for many different events, venues, shows, um, galas, whatever it needs to be. Hearing how he really wants to integrate his plans with the daily life in the city has, I mean, that's kind of what you want out of this project. I mean, for the, for my fellow Brutti Americani, you know, American stadium deals are this absolute scandalous grift that require millions and millions and millions, hundreds of millions of taxpayer dollars to build. And so, you know, most of the time building like a, a new stadium for a professional sporting franchise in the U.S. is something that should be looked at and maybe the local government should say, no, we're not interested in ponying up the money for that because we need to spend that on other things. But I, I am not an expert on Italian municipal government finance. I, Nobody is. Full disclaimer here. As far as I can tell, that does not seem to be the case here. It really does seem like Rocco is willing to spend the money on this. And I hope that he and Nardella get on the same page here and get something going. I mean, it really, it seems like Rocco is ready to, and I hope that Nardella's willing to join him very soon. Listen, think about it this way. You have a retirement, I have a retirement. We all are investing in our retirement. And at some point, hopefully we'll be able to do that. When you are guys like us, you know, hopefully we can afford some some beach condo down in Mexico or an apartment that we go to half of the year in, in Florence, whatever that looks like. When you're Rocco Camiso and you're worth $5.5 billion, your retirement plan is to buy a club and the house that you want to build is a palace. That palace, you want it to be housing an entire stadium full of people that come and worship the team that you built. That's where we're at. That's where we need to go. Now that Mike has just completely ended that segment and there is nothing else we can add to that, man, that is, that is fantastic. Sorry, give me a moment to like catch my breath because I'm like fist bumping and head banging along with that. Uh, okay. Man, How about so June weird. 20th? Oh, man. Well, now you're going to get me amped all up again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> as you may have heard, Seria A is set to resume on the 20th of June with the Coppa Italia quarterfinals being played the week before. But we don't really care about that right now because uh, unless someone beats Roma 7-1, to one, it doesn't count. <laughs> so uh, one, of the, one of the fun things about the new Serie A is that there are going to have to be major rule changes, obviously, to preserve health. So the the first one is that Serie A could cancel the use of VAR. We haven't heard a final judgment on this, but that could that could change things a lot. Although, honestly, knowing how VAR works and <laughs> just the pure black box mystery behind it, no one can actually predict what that's going to do to Fiorentina. So we're not even going to get into it. And listen, Italian VAR is different than other VARs. I see right now Germany still has it. Um, but would VAR in Italy be a loss at this point now? Oh, boy. Uh, what is a lot more interesting to me is that they are talking about allowing five substitutes per game instead of three, which 
if they're playing two times a week in the Italian summer is absolutely necessary. It's going to be hot. Dehydration is going to be serious, even with the fact that these guys are going to have trained for, what, a little more than a month, most of them? Yeah, yeah. Before resumption, they're, I mean, they're not going to be anywhere close to full fitness still. And, and how many of these players are actually coming off of being infected with COVID? Yeah. So until we, until we test these players with antibody tests, we don't really know how many of these players at one time had COVID. And we know there's a lot of lasting impacts around blood pressure and, and the way that your body's just, you know, being able to work with oxygen. You need five subs. That, that was very socially responsible. Honestly, I would be fine with seeing full-on hockey-style line changes at this point. <laughs> Keeps guys healthy, especially. I mean, Fiorentina has Petzela, Vlaovic, Caceres recently said that he contracted it as well and was just sick as a dog for a month. Cutrone, and that's just one club that we know of. I mean, who knows across the league how many other guys, you're right, have, have dealt with that and hopefully won't again, but who knows Another precaution will obviously be the emptying of the stadia. I mean, you can't have fans watching games live in these circumstances, despite what Juventus chairman Andrea Agnelli has been <laughs> saying recently, which can you imagine something more on brand for the Juventus chairman than saying, oh yeah, we just got through the worst health crisis in at least a century on, the, like on a global scale. No, let's have more people get together now. What a numpty, my goodness. He should have just left his foot in his mouth rather than taking it out. God, he's pretty much just swallowed it whole like at this point like a python. <laughs> Anyways, moving on from morons like Andrea Agnelli, the next thing we need to talk about is the uh, transfer market for this summer, which is going to look real different, do you think, Mike? Potentially. You know, when uh, we talked about this just a couple weeks ago, it was a really different landscape than what we even have right now. Really, we were planning on talking about a couple players, Kiesa and Belotti. Kiesa potentially leaving, Belotti potentially coming in. Uh, I did an article on Belotti coming in and, and talked about how that can potentially work. One of those factors would be you have to pay for him. And the only player that can really meet some of those, those funds is somebody like Chiesa. So you almost wonder if those players are intertwined a little bit. I personally would love to see Federico stay here. Fetty's a guy who goes back and forth, it seems like, every week, depending on who you talk to. Is he staying? Is he going? Sometimes he's so excited and says he wants to stay. Then you hear talks about a renewal, potentially. Then the next week, you hear he's going to Juventus. It's locked up. Inter's now in on him. Who knows? Uh, personally, I'd love to see Chiesa stay. Belotti, it sounds intriguing. I'm a Vlahovic guy myself, so I'd like to see him get his opportunities, but it would be great for Vlahovic to learn from Belotti too. I, I think on Chiesa, again, this past week, he's, he talked about his interest in staying at Fiorentina. I think one of the things that I always find interesting is that all of the reports of him going to Inter or to Juve, they never seem to originate with him. And then every time you hear from the man himself, it's always, yeah, I'm staying at Fiorentina, of course. So I think that's probably worth bearing in mind. As far as Belotti goes, yeah, he's, man, he's a top player. He's a consistent proven striker, been in double digits in Serie A for three or four years in a row now, which is not someone who's on the roster 
in Florence right now. But like you said, with Vlaovic there, with Cutrone, with Kawame, and then not even getting into the younger players or the guys out on loan, I don't see how you can make a case for Belotti, especially because he's a little bit older. He's on a different timeline than the rest of the squad at Fiorentina, it seems like, where there's a very young core that's ready to grow together. And they've got a couple of veterans who can kind of shepherd them along right now. But I don't, I don't know if Belotti, who's in his prime and probably, if he's going to leave, is going to want to go somewhere that gives him at least Europa League if not Champions League. I don't see why he would come to Fiorentina right now, which is a little bit more of a long-term project. Listen, I, I think Belotti accomplishes what Rocco's looking for. Rocco wants to build a team that's scoring. He wants to build a team that's in Europe. And he also wants to build a team of Italian nationals. So he does want to have some Italian national, uh, national players on this team that are representing the club as Italy is going to play for the World Cup, for the Euros, whatever it is. So I think it makes sense from a Rocco standpoint. From Belotti, I don't know. Like, where else would he go and um, be the, the focal center of attention? Here, we certainly have some midfielders that can give him the distribution. We have the ability, I think, to go from the top of the second half of the table to a top three or four team with Belotti. So I, I think that you're getting the most out of somebody like Belotti in Florence, whereas that's not going to be the case anywhere else. Who knows? I've, I've seen some interest for him out of England and Spain, it seems like. So, man, signing, signing someone like Andrea Belotti would be a huge statement of intent and would be probably the highest profile signing since at least Mario Gomez and probably since long before that, that we've seen at the club. Another high-profile signing who would not involve a crazy transfer fee. Let's talk Jan Vertonghen. Having him come in, who <laughs> talk about his success over the years. I remember watching this guy at Ajax. Uh, you know, they talked about him being one of the greatest center backs at that time. And, and he, he has. He has lived up to, to the potential. Oh, for sure. Uh, he's been great for many years. Bringing that type of leadership, leadership by example, leadership by he's a vocal guy, I think would be phenomenal. Um, but I do think that that's tying itself to Petzela leaving. I think so. I think with Petzela and then Casares and then Vertonghen, that's going to be next year. I think three guys who are 30 and up and you don't really want to have that many older guys on a younger team. Uh, Vertonghen, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. It seems like a lot of Spurs fans have been talking about how, ah, we don't need him anymore. He's old and like, dude's 32. Like, let's take it easy with calling 32 old here for a second, y'all. And for another thing, he's still really, really good. Yeah. Uh, I think he'd excel in Italy, especially with the range of his passing. We haven't had a player like that in the Fiorentina back line with that ability to shift the ball to the wings, to the wingers high up the pitch in a few years. And that just adds such a dimension to your attack. And what he would do for, let's just say, Milinkovic stays. What would he and Milinkovic do on a back line there? That, that'd be impressive. <laughs> God, that, would be that would be impressive. That would be a fantastic defensive pairing. If Vertonghen, who, again, still playing at a high level, is probably going to have a lot of interest from Champions League sides, ends up not making it, which, man, let's hope he does. I would love to see him 
in Florence. Uh, another name we've been hearing a lot of, and who we'll probably be writing about on the site pretty soon, is Daniele Rugani at Juventus. Not maybe quite as big of a name, and not quite as glittering of a resume, though. But do you think, do you think he could fit in, Mike? To me, when I first heard this rumor, the first thing I thought about is the relationship between Juventus and Fiorentina is not a good one right now. <laughs> so I found myself asking, why would Juventus sell their player to us when we're flat out saying we're not going to sell Chiesa, we're not going to sell Castrovilli to them? Like, we'll look to sell Chiesa to another team other than Juve. I remember when Rugani was being thought of as, as the next Chiellini, which is clearly why they purchased him. He was yeah. a young kid who had a lot of promise just four or five years ago. Uh, I, I still think that he has plenty of opportunity to grow in that area. He's, he's been behind a lot of people, so I'd, I'd expect him to have a lot of knowledge, be well-schooled on the position. You know, let's hope that, you know, the skill set's definitely there. He's had some injury issues, you know, that I think he's gotten through. But uh, I think that that would be a great fit for our club. Clearly, it means somebody has to leave, though. And then it also means that Juve has to sell him to us. I think you have just absolutely hit the nail on the head there. I think that, you know, being stuck behind Chiellini and Bonucci and then Matthias De Ligt now, there are not a whole lot of players who are going to be stuck behind those guys and then yeah. manage to push them out of the way, realistically, especially for younger defenders. You know, the cliche is that they need to be out and getting minutes and playing regularly, which Rugani has not gotten at Juventus and so has obviously not fulfilled his potential. I think that a move somewhere where he plays regularly could really see him become a key player, possibly regain some of that hype that saw people expecting him to be the next great Italian center half. I'm with you. If the money is right, I don't see any reason not to pull the trigger if one of Fiorentina's current defenders is leaving. Yeah, agreed. Let's keep it on defense for possible transfer targets. And let's talk about, well, here's Napoli for the second time <laughs> in this podcast, Fauzi Gulam. Listen, it's never easy to deal with Napoli in a transfer situation. It just isn't. Let's just call a spade a spade. Um, <laughs> it, it seems like there's a lot of interest. I know we had interest in him, what was it, two years ago, in, in bringing him over when he went to Napoli. Yeah. And, and there was a lot of rumors that we were close to bringing him over, and he kind of spurned us for Napoli at that time. Last I heard is that they're, Napoli's pushing back. They don't want to sell him. The only way that they'll move him is in, in exchange for Petzela, one for one. And uh, Daniele Prade doesn't see the value uh, of both players being the same. It sounds like he wants more for Petzela. Eminently reasonable. I mean, Petzela is a starting defender for Argentina. Gulam is a, a proven Serie A defender, good player, solid. But I don't think that I'm going to be offending anyone too much if I say that the general perception is that they are not at the same level as players again you're, you're you're they're trying to sell based off of potential and youth and acquire somebody based off of practicality and experience especially because Kulam is he's not that young he's only a couple of years younger than Petzela I think if that even I don't see a great fit for him under Yakini as a wingback I'm not sure if yeah. he brings that profile you want as a wingback as much if something happens where Fiorentina moves to a back four, which, spoiler alert, we may get into later in this episode, 
I can see him <laughs> being a better fit there. But there's there's just so many variables right now. We can't really we can't really know. No, I agree. Uh, and, and I think this is probably a good time just to start getting into our players, taking a look at our defenders. So if we're already on the defense here, going from Vertonghen, and Regani Gulam. Right, Let's yeah. start getting into our wingbacks. You know what, Mike? Let's talk wingbacks. And while we're talking about our players, let's talk about a player who does not belong to Fiorentina. Let's talk about Dalbert. I'll be honest. I, I don't have any issues with Dalbert. I mean, I know that uh, there's been a long conversation over the past couple of weeks between Inter and, and Fiorentina as far as what they're going to do. First, you have to extend contracts for this year to finish out the season. They've talked about extending a loan for next year. I've been pleasantly happy with what he's done. He hasn't been a game changer in every game. You know, he's, he's definitely changed a couple games, but he's always full of energy. He's always giving 100%. Sometimes he makes a lot of mistakes, but that's fine. I mean, but he's, he's fast. He's determined. He has a great attitude. And he seems to be a guy who went from not wanting to come to Florence, needing to be talked into it, to uh, enjoying his time here. Yeah, and I think there's a lot to be said for that, along with the fact that he has a neck tattoo, which has clearly been one of the core principles of Fiorentina's recruitment strategy over this past year. I think that he started out really well under Montella when his brief was to stay much higher up the pitch and really create that triangle with Ribery and Castrovilli and get in behind and hit balls into the middle. I think under Yakini, his role has changed. He's expected to sit much deeper, be more solid, Instead of getting high up and crossing, staying deeper and looking to move the ball forward on the ground, which I don't think suits him quite as well. I'm also, I'm not totally sold on him having the defensive ability to play in a back four for next year. Again, who knows? Maybe, maybe not. I'm not totally sold on that. So I think I might be a little bit lower on Dalbert than you are, but that is also not to say that he has not been a bad player for Fiorentina by any stretch. He's been, I think, a net positive, really, even if he's fallen off a bit over the past, uh, well, I guess I can't say the past few months, over the <laughs> uh, back half of the season. Yeah, and, and, and listen, this could be one of those positions that uh, we talked about with Galam. It could be an area where we look to improve. If we go to a back four, have a coaching change potentially, that could be an area where we look to, to spend and improve. No matter what, that will be an area that we see changed up, even with uh, Cristiano Baraghi coming back from Inter, which it sure sounds like is going to happen. I don't think they're going to trigger the 12, 14 million to make that move permanent, which for him is a huge bummer. It's the third time he's gone back to his childhood club. Yeah. And the third time they have said, no, you're not good enough, go away, which on a personal note, man, that's got to just break you up a little bit for the guy but I think similar to Dalbert I'm not as sold on him in that back four as a left back because he does tend to stay much higher up the pitch he's a very good crosser of the ball Mm -hmm. but Fiorentina don't have a whole lot of aerially commanding players like there's not a lot of guys who get on the end of crosses in this team he doesn't have Dalbert's pace to cover for mistakes and positioning when he's caught high up. On the pitch, I'm not sure there's a fit. And I think after his third sojourn in Milan and now coming back, I'm not sure that there's really going to be a lot of room for him in some ways, just in terms of team building. You know, this is one where I'm, I'm not necessarily torn. I'm, I guess, maybe a little bit more fearful of what happens here. He's 27. He has a contract till 2022. 
uh, in my opinion, there was a mistake made at the beginning of this year that we did not make this a mandatory purchase uh, after the loan. You know, there, there seemed to be a lot of teams interested in Baragi. There seemed to be a lot of momentum behind him. More, more, more teams going into August of 19, July of 19, were high on him and wanting to acquire him. I mean, PSG, for crying out loud, showed up yeah. in the rumors. We should have just had this be either, you know, a purchase straight out or a obligation for uh, a purchase after the loan. Make it 15 million, 15 million, whatever it is. We purchased them just a couple of years ago for 2.2 million. So, I mean, that would be a wonderful capital gain, a lot of money that we can reinvest in the team. I am concerned, though, what's going to happen. So, he's going to come back here. He's not going to be staying in Florence. I don't think that he fits. Uh, I don't think he even wants to be here based off of, you know, some of the comments he made last year, you know, how we, how I saw him interact with the club uh, while he was here in the United States. What happens? You know, do you put him out on a loan again? I don't see another club putting up even $10 million to purchase him coming off of what's going on with lost revenue on COVID. So you put him up for a, another loan. Do you extend his contract to try not to lose the value of him walking away a year after he comes back from a loan? Because now you're then taking that $10 million down to maybe $6 million. So do we just try to get $8 million? I don't know. I mean, this is one that really has me concerned because there could have been a nice capital gain, which is really what I would have liked to have seen. I don't see that happening right now. I think you're exactly right. You know, it just, it just shows you how up in the air that left flank is on the defense. Fortunately, at least on the right side, things are a little bit more certain with Paul Larola, whose trajectory this year has been sort of the exact opposite of Dalbert's. Uh, started very slowly under Montella looked really uncertain uh, as a wingback rather than a fullback. And then since Yakini's taken over, Lirola's been, say, one of the three, four best players consistently week in, week out for Fiorentina. How can you not love this guy? First and foremost, he's a quiet, exciting player that gets the job done each and every day. Now, let's start that each and every day, maybe after the first six or seven games, <laughs> uh, maybe eight games. Uh, but, you know, after we had a coaching change, he got his uh, his legs under him in Florence. I think he's been great. Who doesn't want a player who's featured already a couple times for the under-21 for Spain? I mean, yeah. sign me up for a Spanish international. Uh, and I even saw an article recently that talked about potential replacements for Barcelona as a wingback. And he was actually listed as a dark horse. I believe it. He's so good in possession. He's great with the ball at his feet. He loves skipping away from challenges. I think what uh, the problem with him under Montella was, was Montella wanted his fullback staying very high up the pitch and putting in crosses. Uh, and that's not really Lerola's game. He likes to sit deeper and act almost as a, as a wide playmaker, where he can play the ball on the ground through the lines at angles into the strikers or to the midfielders. And I think since under Yakini, his job has been to sit deeper. He's really shown that and excelled he's also seemed much more comfortable defensively in that deeper role oh man i'm not gonna remember which game it was but it was against one of the big clubs where he made a couple of absolutely fantastic last ditch tackles in the box that denied clear goal scoring opportunities i also really love that he is just an incredibly dedicated gamer like he's been representing fiorentina in all of these esports tournaments and won i think a couple of them and that's just his thing. He just like shows up to work, 
and then goes home and plays video games. I mean, he doesn't seem like he's out getting in trouble. He's he's just sitting at home in front of a screen doing what everyone else who's 22 years old <laughs> is doing right now. I, I find that sort of endearing. Yeah, great for him. Great for him. Uh, listen, I, I would love for Fiorentina to hold on to him. I know that he's now linked to a couple different clubs. Everybody's reaching out. There's a lot of interest in him. I'd love for us to keep him at least for a couple of years. And if we're going to uh, sell him, sell him to a Barcelona in a few years. I think if he does leave for Barcelona, no one can blame him. He's playing for the Catalonia international team now. So obviously going back to Barcelona would make a lot of sense for him as a person. Yeah. Yeah. But otherwise the club spent what 14 mil on him, 15 mil. It's going to take a lot to pry him away. I would imagine. Listen, it would be nice if teams tried. That'd be great. Uh, but it also shows the resilience of Rocco if we're not going to sell him. I did see that he was involved in taking one of his game jerseys from this past year and putting it into an online raffle where fans can bid. And, and the benefits of that raffle went to um, Catalonia to support them through some of the tragedies they've had with COVID and, and um, lost revenues. It really does seem like the kind of guy who is what my mom would have described as just a very nice, quiet young man. <laughs> uh, and, you know, his backup, too, I think probably deserves the same description in Lorenzo Venuti, who is just seems like the sweetest, nicest, happiest dude in the side at all times. And just because of that and for that fantastic mustache, and even if he cut his hair now, I really want to keep him in the side just for that because he seems like he's so excited to be back in Florence all the time. You can't not like the guy. I actually like him better now that he cut his hair. Speaking <laughs> for the follically challenged uh, of us, I, I just thought he was bragging all the time, running around with that head of hair, just rubbing it in. Like, come on, Man. I can't grow hair. I don't need to see that. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> do, do I need to go like put on a ski mask or something right now with that? Yeah, you're I, doing I, the same. We're going to have to chop off those locks. I, I feel attacked. <laughs> you know, Venuti, uh, again, you know, he's, he seems at 25 years of age as a kid who's much older than, than his age would suggest. Uh, he just extended his contract, talked about how he wants to play his career inside of Florence. I think a lot of people would love that. He's still developing. He's still adding different skill sets to his repertoire. Can't imagine that his future is anywhere but Florence, at least for the next, you know, two or three years. Did seem like, you know, he and his his um, girlfriend could have, you know, potentially, his girlfriend did test positive for COVID. And, and I'm, you know, maybe he's one of those that, that had a scare. So I, I certainly hope that he's healthy and he's doing well because he's going to be an important player for uh, Fiorentina moving forward, in my opinion. I think you're completely right. I think a lot of that comes down to his versatility. He can play on either side. He can do a job as a wingback. I think he's actually, like Larola, much better as a fullback, playing a little farther back. He's an excellent crosser of the ball, too. He's good with the ball at his feet. He's fast. He works like a dog out there. He never he stops does. running. You can even plug him into the middle in, a, in an emergency. He just Yeah, he just signed that extension. I think the only weakness he has is that he gets caught ball watching occasionally, and that leads him to get carded pretty regularly. He's got three and nine appearances this year, which is a little high, but he also, he's exactly who you want as a backup. He's a local guy. He came up through the academy. He's been out on loan for half a decade, came back, nailed down his spot, happy to be there. And you can plug him in against a mid-table, lower-table side, and he'll come in, hold down the fort, and then step back off of the pitch and let 
the starter come in and do the thing. And he seems very happy with that. Yeah, no, I agree. Last thing I'll say on, on Venuti, first name Lorenzo, connecting that to what I've been taking uh, my pandemic time and watching is Medici. So if, uh, uh, if anybody has, uh, I'm sure a lot of people do, Netflix, uh, the Medici series is phenomenal and it'll help you guys stay close to the city of Florence. So watch that. Who's, who's broadcasting that one? Netflix. Netflix, no kidding. Oh, yeah, we should we should get them on as a sponsor sometime. You can yeah. you can contact our legal department and pay us for that plug. We're not working for free. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Getting back into the swing of things, I guess the only other real fullback on the roster this year is Alexa Turcic. Hasn't made an appearance this year. It's still kind of a mystery, honestly. Do you, do you think he still has a future in Florence? I, I don't want to answer that right now. Uh, I think I'm with you. I'm very confused. I'm confused at the purchase when he came in. I thought he was very similar to having Hanchko here. Uh, I thought Hanchko could have been maybe a better fit. Personally liked Hanchko. But uh, so we brought in Turtich and I think it was the last purchase of Corvino, right? Yeah, 2.5 million for a Balkan for a Balkan player. I mean, you talk about staying on brand till the bitter end. You know, you and I saw him play. He got a lot of run while he was over here for the ICC. He seemed pretty good. But then in some game time here not much it just didn't get put together so I'd imagine going into next year that's definitely going to be a loan I don't know what his contract terms look like I know he's uh, I think only 20 maybe 21 so I'd, I'd guess we'll have I'd venture a guess that we have at least another three years with him so I'd say probably two years out on loan before there's a chance of him coming back I think a lot of that, too, is down to the fact that he's only been playing as a left back for maybe two years now. I mean, he came up through the Trvena Zvezda system in Serbia as a full winger and was super hyped up there and never panned out for them and got moved to left back and was playing in the reserve team there as a as a defender. So I think a lot of it might be that he's still learning how to play the position. I mean, he's got a great left foot, good delivery. He can hit a free kick. He's an athlete. Realize. Yeah, he's fast. He's he's strong enough. I think he's just got to learn how to do it. And I think you're right. A couple of years on loan, maybe in Serie B, would really would really do well for him. Uh, let's see now. Other guys out on loan. Uh, we got a couple who are. Oh boy, I really want to frame this so that they're not punchlines, <laughs> and I'm not sure I can. Maxi Oliveira is somehow still a Fiorentina player even though he's on loan at uh, Juarez in Mexico right now. And wearing number seven, Maxi, you're a fullback. Don't do that. <laughs> How many times did you look at the press release when he was coming back and think, is it April 1st? Yeah, right. Is it April 1st? It's not like he was terrible for Fiorentina. He was, no, no. He was Just that he's still here. Athlete. How is he still on the books? And he's, his contract runs till 2022. We've got two more years of Maxi unless someone buys him. I will say that he seems like a super nice guy. Yeah. Very fun. Yeah. I remember seeing pictures of him dressed up as the puppet from Saw at Halloween a few years ago and like riding around a Fiorentina company party on a tricycle for hours. Oh, was pretty funny. So, I mean, he's just like this goofy, good-natured dude. But Maxi, why are you still here, man? Go home. I guess the other one who's also funny for reasons that have nothing to do with his surname is Kevin Dix. <laughs> oh, sorry. Okay, I thought I was going to hold it together, and I didn't. All right, Bart. 
you know, he came to us with, if I recall correctly, at one point he was even on like the top 25 players list in Europe under the age of 18 or something. Oh, yeah. So he came with a lot of promise. I think that when we purchased him, we thought this was like the biggest coup that we could ever have. But what yeah. happened since? I don't know what happened from the, the promise that he came in with, the time he had. He had some time to prove it here in Florence. And then each and every loan spell he's had since, just nothing ever connects. And sometimes, honestly, it doesn't connect for players. And that yeah. may just be where it is. That said, after not even making the match day roster at Empoli last year, for reasons we still don't understand, he has made his first competitive appearance for a club in two years at Aarhus in, in uh, Denmark. And we're really, really excited for him. Hopefully he's back on track he's uh under contract until next year realistically there's nothing he can do that will keep him in florence but hopefully he shows enough over these next two years to earn himself a good look somewhere else and continue his career no idea why it didn't work out for him but we wish him the best and he's still only 23 yeah he's still really young i always imagine him being much older he had grandkids by now Well, while we're talking about promising young right backs, how about uh, Gabriele Ferrarini, also on loan at uh, Pistoiese, 20 years old, U20 international. He's really been one of the star performers of Serie A this year. Uh, You know, this is a guy that started as a striker, so he's comfortable going forward. Uh, It was on the Copa team with Vlahovic and and Montiel. They won. So, you know, clearly there's uh, some ambition there. I think uh, he's now starting to get a lot more play in a position that's going to be the one for him moving forward. And and hopefully he can develop that defensive side that'll go with the offensive side he's already had. There is there is a lot of promise there for this guy. Yeah, I mean, he's got a goal and three assists on the right side of the four in a 3-4-3, three, three, and he's just been fantastic, even if the defense isn't quite there. I, do you think – there's no way he's ready for Fiorentina next year, but maybe two years, do you think, Mike? Well, I, I did read an article about him. Boy, I won't even say this was probably back in November time frame, maybe a little bit later. But, you know, he was even a kid who knew what it meant to be a professional. So he was talking about needing to go through the steps. And, you know, he's glad that he's out on loan. He knows he needs another year or two on loan. But his goal is to get to Fiorentina, play in Florence for the club. So he seems like the consummate professional, even at a very, very young age. Whoever raised this kid did a very good job about it. He's not coming in and expecting that he needs to be handed the keys to the door. He wants to go. He wants to train. He wants to learn. And he wants to come back and earn what is his. I I, I root for him. Anyone with that kind of drive and with the talent that he's already displayed is going to have a very long and successful career as a professional. If that's in Florence, that would be awesome. But if not, he's going to be fine. Well, let's wrap this up with some of the younger players. Federico Simonti, 19 years old. He's the captain of the Primavera playing at left back. And he's a local kid, too. He's from Banjo Arripoli. The, the games that I've been at over in Florence for the Primavera, the practices I've been at, he is vocal. He is a big guy, too. Not not a small guy. I mean, he's he's a force to be reckoned with. But he's athletic. He, I mean, he he moves. Uh, I think that he has the mentality. He has the drive. He has the physical ability, all the tools. Uh, the club is very high on him. You hear a lot of good things coming out about him all the time. Definitely is going to be a player that's going out on loan. He's going to need some time to develop. Uh, and also, you know, just taking into consideration, we have a couple pretty good 
wingbacks that are already at the club. So, you know, all of these players are going to have to work harder, develop themselves more than the players did just a couple of years before then. Yeah, I think that's really a great point is how much deeper the first team is now. So that guys like Simonti and also Fabio Ponzi, another young left back, 19, pretty crazy. Uh, Simonti is the captain of the Primavera. And Ponzi is the one who's got 10 caps for the U19 level already. Another local kid, too, is from Pietrasanta, just outside of Luca. I think he's a little bit more comfortable going forward than Simonti, but definitely needs some time working the defensive end. And you think he's another another lone candidate? Lone candidate. I mean, I would have wished that we could have seen a little bit more coming out about Bajika staying. Now they're talking about what's going to happen with Bajika and him transitioning out. Potentially, you know, they're now starting to talk about other players or other former players coming in and, and coaching the Primavera. So what that looks like, we'd have to kind of see. I, I thought that, that he would have probably benefited from uh, another year of working with Bajika. But depending on who that coach coming in is, you may think that he he's due for a loan. Fair. I'm saving the uh, the one who I know you're real excited about for last, Eduardo Pierozzi, just 18 years old. Uh, he's already got four appearances for the U19s for Italy, which shows you just a little bit about how highly he's regarded. Even more, he is from Florence, not the suburbs. He is from the <laughs> city itself. Yeah. Give us some Pierozzi talk. Listen, practice, spoke with a couple people, eyes are on this guy to develop. There are clear expectations that this kid turns into a future star. They're giving him the personal attention that he needs to develop. You know, he has the drive. Nobody complains about that at the club. Definitely a player that I'd love to see stay around in the Primavera for another year. Have the tutelage, have the training. I'd love to see somebody a little bit older, take him by the shoulder, maybe mentor him a little bit. Because he has he has a lot of tools. He has a lot of ability. And I think that we can see him there within the next two years at the adult club. Oh, man. That is mighty exciting. And that also wraps up our look at the wingbacks for Fiorentina right now. That it does, but it doesn't wrap up our broadcast here. Where I think we need to go is into one of those articles that you just dropped recently. Talk about a little bit of coaching conversations here. We know that we have a little bit of a potential carousel going on. I think you and I are both very respectful of Beppe and what he's done. Not sure what the future looks like there, but there is a name that has been attached, Roberto Deservi. What are your thoughts I know you put together the article. What are your thoughts on him in a nutshell? Again, I'm not going to go too deep into it because I already wrote like almost 2,000 words on this that (laughs) you can go read and probably uh, learn a lot more from. He's the current coach at Sassuolo. He's 40 years old. Uh, He was a journeyman midfielder, never really a star in his playing career. Started out in Serie A. He's come up, coached Palermo at one time, which, you know, anyone who can coach at Palermo and survive Zamperini and keep going you got to have some admiration for Uh, (laughs) and hey speaking of Beppe Yacchini there right uh anyways uh Deserbi has kind of made his name at Benevento where he coached Lorenzo Venuti actually as they got promoted to Serie A uh then he took over at Sassuolo where he's built a pretty interesting reputation I think he's known as a very attack-minded coach Generally sets out a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1, but he's also used a 3-4-3 and a 3-4-2-1, so very flexible in terms of tactics, which is 
interesting, uh, has a reputation also for developing young players. Paul Larola actually is one of the guys who really broke through under his watch. So there's that. Yep. Uh, also, Alfred Duncan, the current Fiorentina midfielder, was one of his favorites. So there's plenty of links. He also shares an agent with Alberto Aquilani, who is on the uh, staff at Fiorentina. Anyways, uh, stylistically, he's he's very interesting, I think, in a lot of ways. He likes very attacking football. He likes keeping the ball. He really likes to pass out and build from the back. His method of breaking the press, I, I have not watched a whole lot of Sassuolo. I've watched less of his Benevento even than that. But from what I can tell, it seems like a lot of what his style is based around is basically having defenders or midfielders hold the ball very, very deep and invite opponents to press them and then let those midfielders or defenders beat that man and then they have passing lanes forward to move the ball quickly and generate really speedy breaks in attack. I think you can really see that borne out in the fact that Sassuolo this year have averaged uh, more dribbles per game than anyone in Serie A. They keep the ball pretty well, one of the highest ball retention rates in the league. They win the fewest aerials, so they barely play the ball long. The other thing that they do really well, their front three has been just absolutely revelatory this year. Jeremy Boga on the left, last seen putting his foot on poor Ricky Sotil's neck, <laughs> uh, has been maybe the breakout player of the year, him or Castrovilli, yep. I would say. Domenico Berardi has been completely reborn between the two of them they've got 18 goals or something and then francesco caputo up top 32 years old and people are calling for him to get an italy call up and i don't think that's unreasonable at all he's been fantastic so in terms of the wingers i think with chiesa and ribery and sotil chiesa would be a great fit sotil would be a great fit ribery doesn't have the pace that it seems like diterbi usually wants from his wide attackers but i think he's probably tricky enough to still be very useful. I think the real question for me is the striker, whose job is to either drop deep, hold up play, and play in midfield runners or wingers, or to be a real poacher, like just getting in on the ends of crosses, running in behind, showing really good movement in the box. And I'm not sure Fiorentina quite has that player on the roster, which also explains perhaps why Belotti has been tapped as a replacement. I mean, Vlaovic is great running in behind, but his hold-up play isn't great. His movement definitely needs to improve, which it certainly will, especially under a guy like Dezerbi, who's good at molding young talent. Cutrone, I don't think, has the pace at this point, but he's certainly a good enough finisher. Kwame is probably the closest thing, but who knows with his knee how long that'll take. I mean, you never want to put too much pressure on a guy coming off a major injury like that. The big knock, of course, on Diterbi is that his teams are defensively, let's say, frail. Uh, that policy of holding the ball and inviting the press so that then you can play into the space beyond that press is very smart until your team loses the ball and the other team is breaking the other way with a three-on-one. We've seen a lot of that. So I think that that would be sort of a callback to some of those older Fiorentina teams under Montel the first time, maybe even a little under Prandelli, but it would also be a huge transition away from Iacchini's very structured, rigid defense and Stefano Pioli before him. So I think that there would definitely be a long adjustment period there, I think. I think his backline probably requires defenders who are very good on the ball and have some yeah. quickness, which means that a guy like Herman Bezzella doesn't quite fit that mold as well, although Milenkovic and Gasseres and Igor and 
Ranieri all certainly do. For those keeping track at home, say that Verdungen and Rugani would both fit well into that template too. Again, there's nothing definite here. This is all still rumor. We've heard that Fiorentina have initiated talks with Deterbi's entourage, such as it is. So there's a long ways to go. This is not signed, sealed, delivered by any stretch. But I think he's the sort of coach that Fiorentina should be looking at. He's, he's very attack-minded. He's got lots of room for growth. He's, As far as I can tell, he's improved as a coach every year. Pairing a young coach who's good with young players with maybe the most exciting young team in Italy, possibly in Europe, in Fiorentina, mm-hmm. and watching them grow together could make for a pretty compelling entertainment product. Those defensive shortcomings will probably give a bunch of us fans heart attacks. But for the neutral, I think this is just a perfect appointment. Well, you won't have as many draws anymore. (laughs) That'll be a good thing. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah, no, I think we're going to... Yeah, it seems like the Serbi's style is uh, trying to win a cricket match more than a a soccer (laughs) game. So, so knowing what Rocco's looking for, do you have any concerns with the experience that Deserby has? You know, I think that's where it gets interesting. I mean, there have been a lot of people calling for guys like Spalletti or Ranieri, you know, mm-hmm. very experienced guys with ties to Florence or Tuscany and who know how to manage a team, especially with a, with a younger team. I, I understand why you want that more established profile in a manager. We've also seen, though, Rocco is clearly willing to give guys a chance. Look at Vlaovic getting elevated to the to a starting role, Castrovilli, two years in Serie B and immediately made a starter upon returning to Florence. Dragowski finally getting his chance to shine after, you know, 40 years in the desert growing that beard. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. So I'm really not sure. I, I think Deserbi is for sure the kind of coach who you want to do your research on, kick the tires on, see what he's looking for. Maybe he's the guy for the job. Maybe he's not. I think the club is, at worst, doing its due diligence. And that's that's a good thing. He's out of contract at Sassuolo this year. So it's he fits the profile of who you want to hire. Whether he's the guy, I don't know. <laughs> Beyond our pay grade. Oh, yeah. He's interesting at the, yeah. at the very least. No, well, good. Uh, and that's, that's great. I just wanted to dive into that because 2,000 words is a lot to read. That's fair. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'm not reading it, but y'all are more than welcome to on violanation.com. Absolutely. Uh, you know, just before we close things up here, I just wanted to uh, take a couple moments real quick to thank ACCVC and ATF for allowing us to participate in the Noistiamo Con Rocco. Uh, I wanted to thank uh, Gianluca Caminati. Alessandro Sisto, who helped us during that process, the Viola Clubs in China, Viola Club in Indonesia, Fiorentina Fan Club in Tokyo, Viola Club New York, Viola Club Israel, Viola Club Texas, uh, as well as you. You know, you participated, sent a picture, it was great. Appreciate that. Uh, I think it was a, a great opportunity for us to showcase, you know, just the amount of fans that are out there globally, you know, just start getting uh, ourselves involved and what's going on with the club. We certainly understand that that's where Rocco wants investment to be coming from. You know, he's going to be putting in the investment and he wants the return on that investment to be coming from uh, the international fans. So we certainly have a responsibility. Everybody answered the call. Very appreciative of that. Thanks, everyone. And Mike, thank you for uh, kind of spearheading all of that way more than I did. (laughs) It's a group effort. And I think that's going to do it for us on Viola Station today. Mike, you have anything for people to think on before we release the next one? Noistiamo con Rocco. That's it. Thanks for listening to Viola 
back to having guests next time, which that's too much to discuss today. Our theme song is by Windchime Weather. Check them out at windchimeweather.bandcamp.com. Viola Station is the podcast from Viola Nation at violanation.com. We're part of the SB Nation Network. Forza Viola. Sports Social Podcast Network.